My name's Colton, uh, and I'm the youth pastor here at SunWest, and uh, I've got three kids. Um, my middle kid, yesterday morning, uh, like he, like when he wakes up, he doesn't really like yell, he kind of just like squawks in his room for a while or like talks to himself, uh, which means like, let me out of here. Uh, so I go and I pick him up and like, it's like, you don't know which kid you're going to get, right? It's like either you're going to get like a really happy kid or a grumpy kid uh, when you get them first thing in the morning. Yesterday, super happy. Like, I pick him up, and he, like, right away just goes straight in for the kiss. Uh, but for some reason, his breath was horrible. Uh, like, so it's like this, like, do I want him? Do I not? Like, how? Anyway, so uh, I let him give me a kiss. And it was right on the nose. For some reason, I'm like, just pick my cheek or something. That's a little bit further away from my senses. Uh, but he woke up happy, uh, which is always good. Uh, and the first thing, one of the first things that he did is all of a sudden he found himself in a mirror. Uh, I don't know, his response when he finds himself in a mirror. I'm not going to shine this this way because I think these lights would maybe blind people. Maybe I should try. Uh, anyways, it's like the magnifying glass and the uh, ants. Anyways, uh, okay, so I'm not calling you ants. I don't know why I said that. Okay, uh, but he like finds himself and he like looks in the mirror and like right away he's like starts waving, right? And like smiling, blowing kisses, but it went like beyond just like the blowing the kiss. Uh, he went in and he's actually like kissing, I'm not going to, but kissing the mirror. Uh, and he's like so happy. And I thought, man, I wish I had that same relationship with the mirror. <laughs> like when I saw it, that I was like enough that I was like, oh, I love myself so much. I'm going to kiss myself in the mirror. Uh, but unfortunately it's not always like that. Uh, usually when I look in the mirror, I notice, uh, sorry, I'll put the mirror down. But, uh, when I look in the mirror, I notice, uh, things that, uh, aren't great. Or I notice maybe some of those imperfections. Um, but yet, I still find myself staring into the mirror quite often. And I think this is one of those things that, as a civilization, uh, that we've always been fascinated with mirrors or our own reflection. Uh, that it started off with actually just like polishing stones. That you polish a stone enough that you could actually see your reflection. I guess before that, uh, it was a, maybe like a body of water or a pond, right? You look in and you see yourself. Uh, but it was like wavy enough that you really didn't actually like see how you really looked. Right, you looked around and you thought, oh, everybody else, they've got all their flaws. And I look in this puddle and I think, I look great. Uh, but you eventually, right, there's a the polished stone to polished metal to the glass that we actually uh, had there that you can actually see yourself. And now you're like, oh, now I'm really comparing myself to others. Because I can see what they look like. And I thought, ah, they don't look that great. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, oof, I'm not that great either. Uh, and we start to compare ourselves when we actually look into uh, the mirror, that we have like this fascination with mirrors and what uh, we look like. Uh, for me, even uh, this morning, I wake up, first thing I do, right, I go to the uh, washroom, right, or wash my face, get ready for the day, uh, and those mirrors are always the worst ones, aren't they? They got the lights uh, above that really like shine and really emphasize everything that's wrong with you. Uh, like they just get you first thing in the morning, that's what I see. And then I walk up and I move and I go through our bedroom, boom, there's a mirror on this wall. I go into our hallway, we don't even have that big of a house. Mirror over here. And I walk past this bathroom to get to the, to the whatever, right? To the, my kitchen, another mirror. To a, another mirror when I go down the stairs. I mean, I think the reason we have them is because our house is small and it makes our house look big. gives that illusion uh, with all the mirrors. But it's a harsh reality of how many mirrors we have. We have more mirrors than we have people in our house. But we have this fascination of actually looking into the mirror, and that doesn't really help us when it comes to this comparison trap, does it? And looking uh, to other people, but also looking to ourselves. But there is something that mirrors, you know, can be good for. 
Mirrors help us to see externally uh, maybe what needs to be adjusted or changed. Right? That I go and I look into the mirror and I'm like uh, getting ready for the day or to go out to work and I'm like, oh, like I just had an everything bagel this morning for breakfast and there's a, bit of, there's a seed still stuck in my teeth, right? It helps me to address that. Oh, I'll get rid of that. That's a good thing. Right? Or I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go out for uh, this dinner party uh, and I look at my shirt and I was just holding my newborn and there's spit up all over my shirt. Oh, I should probably change that shirt. Right? It helps us to address those external things that we see, um, but what actually helps us to see the internal? Like, What are those mirrors to our, our souls or our mirrors to our life to actually let us see what's going on in the inside? It's really easy to see what's going on on the outside and how to adjust and how to fix those things, to be ready to be presentable to the world. But what about what's going on inside? What's the mirror to our, what's the mirror to our soul? Because if I were to look into the mirror and I were to see maybe my anger, I don't think I'd leave the house that day until it was fully addressed. Or if I were to look into the mirror and I see my envy or I see my jealousy, it's like, oh, I'm actually, I'm not going to go to that dinner, dinner party. I am in no shape uh, to be there. That we wouldn't leave the house until those things were actually addressed. So today, we're kind of going to take a look into our soul, to take a look into those things that are internal when it comes to comparison of those things for us to address. Kind of like this mirror into our souls of what, uh, yeah, like what are those things that are actually uh, affecting us on the inside? And the thing about this, um, this, this uh, yeah, these, this envy and this jealousy and this comparison that it's actually usually fed with a lie. This lie that's actually deep down inside of us, that envy is, filled with, is fed by the lie that God owes me. That God actually owes me something. Or that God has shortchanged me. That God has shortchanged me. Because when we look around at other people, and we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, how easy it is to like look around and see other people and compare ourselves to other people, but those people, right? They aren't the ones who are going to make us smarter, in better shape, right? Richer, funnier. They can't make our kids more athletic or less anxious or have more friends or have better grades. They can't bring that perfect man or woman into your life. They can't be the remedy for disappointments. But when you think about it, when you really think about it, God could. Couldn't he? Right? When we get down to it, it's not the people we compare ourselves that are the problem. Right? At its very core, if we really think about it, right, maybe it's God. It's this underlying belief that God owes us. He has shortchanged us, right? Or so we think. Uh, And I think that is a really uh, disturbing thought. That's a hard thought to think about, that God must owe us something, right? Like who allowed other people to have more than us? Who withheld this opportunity from us, right? Could have been God. So when we get down to it, when it comes to comparison, isn't it God's fault? People aren't the problem. God is. But it feels weird, right? pointing our finger at God. Sometimes it's easier to point our finger at other people or point our finger at the mirror and saying, it's your fault. Uh, or pointing the finger and saying, oh, if only I was like them, right? And we point our finger, but to say, hey, I'm actually going to point my finger uh, at God and say, hey, it's your fault, right? As uh, Christians, I feel like, you know, we know better not to point our finger uh, at God. They tried that in the book of Job and it didn't go so well, right? Uh, this whole idea, right? But we, what is it... Uh, yeah, it's hard to come to that reality. But until we address this thought, uh, we will continue to be the victim 
of the comparison trap. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be addressing uh, that thought, or else we continue to be the victim, right? That it's never our fault, that always somebody else is to blame for the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, but when it comes down to it, this is kind of, this is kind of the truth. Um, that our dissatisfaction for what we have says more about how we feel about God than how we feel about the people whom we compare ourselves, compare, yeah, to whom we compare ourselves. Let me read that again. Our dissatisfaction with what we have says more about how we feel about God than how we feel about the people whom we compare ourselves. So today we're going to be focusing in on a parable that talks about just this. Right, that this hasn't been a problem uh, that is just now, like, oh, we're, not, we're in a world of comparison and social media and all that kind of stuff, that this is just a today problem. Like, this has been a problem, uh, really, when we go, get down to it since, really, the beginning of time. Uh, that when we look into the book of Genesis, that we find two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain comparing himself to Abel, feeling like he's falling short. And what he did in the, in the moment, he, uh, in that comparing, he no longer saw him as a brother, but he saw him as another. And when he saw him and as another, we can do some, some really uh, disgusting things. Right? We no longer see people as people, but we actually see them as a means to an end. That's what this trap brings to us. But our jealousy, our envy is behind this idea that God owes us, that God should have given us more, that our problem isn't really with our neighbor, with him or with her. Um, but by the end of the day, right, if we're believers... And we believe that God's a provider. Why didn't he you know, provide for me in that way? Or why doesn't it look like this in this way that our Heavenly Father is the problem? Right? This is this thing that can be actually buried in our subconscious that becomes part of our operating system. Until we see it, until we recognize it, until we grapple with this thought, I think it keeps us trapped. And Jesus recognized this. He saw people trapped in this comparison game, even in his time. So he goes and he shares this parable, and this might be one that we're pretty familiar with. This is found in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. If you want to open your Bibles, uh, you can turn there. It will also be on the screen. Uh, And he shares this parable about comparing ourselves with others, about our perception about God and how that affects the ways that we live. Uh, So let's read it together. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So this wealthy master, he calls these people together and he entrusts his money to his servants. And we're going to quickly realize that the amount that he gave each servant wasn't the same. That it was actually different. Each servant actually got something a little different. Right then and there, we can easily jump into this idea of this comparison. Why didn't he just give everybody the same thing? But when we look at it, uh, and even as uh, scholars, as they're looking at this amount of money, and we're going to get into, right, there's this bag of silver. When you get into that amount of money, even one bag, one bag alone, okay, uh, could have been upwards in today's day and age, if we're looking at it, around a million to 1.5, right? We, lots of the time we feel bad for this one bagger, we're like, oh, he got nothing. Uh, he's got one bag, but he didn't, right? He was given a lavish amount. He was given an extraordinary amount of money, right? So we got to keep that in the back of the mind as we're thinking about this, uh, that that one beggar still got something, right? We might not, as people, we might not have as much as the person next to us uh, due to our circumstances, but we all have been blessed. God has la- is lavishly generous to all. 
The question is, what are we going to do with the jackpot that is allotted to us? What are we going to do with that jackpot that is allotted to us? Right? He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and the one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, right? Uh, there's the one beggar, the two, two beggar, I don't know how people, two beggar, uh, and five beggar. Uh, and I think quite often, in the midst of the story, I like to put myself as a one beggar, right? I've just got one bag. I don't have near as much as that two beggar over there, or five beggar over there that we compare ourselves. And a lot of times in that story, we write ourselves in the narrative of the one that has the least. We see the world and we look around and we think, oh, people just keep having more than us, more than us, more than us, more than us. But for the sake of the story and for the Sunday, let's, uh, let's consider ourselves two beggars. Okay, we're going to put ourselves in the shoes of the two beggars. Can everybody say two beggars? Two beggars. There we go. All right, we're two beggars. Okay, because uh, there's, you know, we're always envious of other people, those five beggars, but there's always going to be somebody who is envious with what we have. Right? There's always somebody that we're going to look and we're going to be envious of, and there's always going to be people that are actually envious of what we have. And this is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things. Last week, or two weeks ago, we actually just uh, met for the first time to start planning uh, the Mexico trip for the spring, where we go down to Mexico over spring break and we build houses for families in need. And one of my favorite things about this trip is the culture shock that kids experience. Because a lot of the times we, we just see ourselves within uh, our worldview and our culture, but when we actually cross the border and we see people live a different life, right? They actually live uh, with what we would maybe consider less, right? Less finances, not a bigger house. They don't have a car, right? They just live with less. But yet sometimes they actually live with more, right? More peace, more joy, uh, more love of life. And it brings us, brings us to question this. Oh, what? They have less than me. In other areas, but yet, maybe they have more. It actually starts to bring perspective. brings perspective. And I think that perspective is something that's really good. But who decided in this story who got what? The truth is the master. The master did. God, right? Uh, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Right? This one beggar. After all, what could I do with one measly bag of silver? What could I do with that? Right? If I had two bags of silver, I would invest. Right? I could do something with two. I could afford to lose something. If I had five bags of silver, I could change the entire world. And we get in that mindset, don't we? That if I had, right, if I had as much as them, of course, right? If I was as fit as them, of course, I'd feel better about myself. If I could sing like her, of course, more doors in my life would open. If I was as smart as them, of course, I could get that job. If my kids were better behaved or as behaved as theirs, of course. If I lived in this, in this community, of course. If I was born in a different family, of course. If my parents stuck together, of course, what could I even do with just one bag if I had more? Of course. And after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. 
When you look at this, it says, after a long time. When we look into it, and, and even within the, uh, some scholars, as I'm doing some research, it should be read more like this. Not after a long time. It should be read more of like, after a lifetime. After a lifetime. It wasn't a year or two, right? After a lifetime. What did they do with what were given to them? And interesting enough in this story, uh, who are they giving account to? Right? Are they giving account to each other? No. Right? They're giving an account of what they did to the master. But I think far too often we actually just give an account of what we've done to each other. Right? It's like, oh, you know what? I finally I purchased this car, so instead of parking it in the garage today, I'm going to park it right in the front of the street so everybody can see it. Right? Oh, I've got the biggest house on the block. Or I've got the nicest grass. Uh, right? There's like these pride things that we put in there. We've got the nicest lawn in the whole block. And that's the thing about social media is we actually just post these things that we're actually just proud of. We rarely actually post these things that we're not. Uh, yeah, we don't post those difficult things. We actually just post what we're proud of. It's like, it's like giving an account to other people about what we have done with what we have, but who are we supposed to give an account to? The master. It's not about looking around to other people and seeing where we fit in the mold and comparing ourselves. It's giving an account to the master. The servant who had been entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest in. I have earned five more. Right? It's like he's going to the master and he's saying this. He says, look what I did with what I had. Look what I did with what I had, right? That person with five bags, he took the opportunity that was in front of himself and he utilized it. Look what I did with what I had. Look what I did with what God gave me, right? Look what I did. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you even more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Right then in that moment, as people were, Jesus' audiences were hearing this, they would have gasped, right? It had been like, a small amount? Five bags is not a small amount. That's a lot, right? So like this whole idea of you've been faithful with a small amount, right? He was entrusted with a lot. And with that responsibility, he actually uh, took on that responsibility and he, he utilized it. So why was the master happy? Because he doubled his money, made him wealthier, Right? But I think the master is happy because the person did what was expected of them. He did his best with the opportunity that was in front of him. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. It's the same thing as what we just heard from the first one. Right? Look what I did with what I had. I had less, for sure, but look what I did with what I had. And we keep reading. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amounts, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together, right? So we have a repeat of what happened to guy number one. Uh, They're celebrating because he took the opportunity presented to himself, that he utilized this bag of silver, this blessings, this talent. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you. We're a harsh man, harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. 
Look, here is your money back. This story, we got to keep in mind, right? This isn't a, a true account. Right? This is a parable. Jesus said parables all, uh, all the time because there's something powerful in a story, isn't there? Right? That it, it emphasizes a point. So here Jesus is actually emphasize, emphasizing this, this point. And I think this larger point of the story and what we usually hear from the story is, uh, is right? Like, what do you do with what's given to you? Right? And I think that's a really important uh, value and really important lesson. But for the sake of this uh, story, if we miss those subtle things that are actually going on behind the scenes, we actually miss uh, the importance of that big point. So the subtle thing that I want to highlight is this, that the master is to blame. You, right? You are the one to blame uh, for what you gave me, right? I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops that you didn't plant, uh, right? And gathering crops you didn't, you cultivate. Uh, So all this idea of you, 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 it's not me. It's pointing the finger out there. You, you are to blame. You shortchanged me. You owe me something. You, the man isn't taking responsibility for what he did, right? He's saying, look what you did with what you gave me. Look what you did with what you gave me. I think we fall into this trap all the time. Of not taking that responsibility, that actually just right away jumping in and placing blame. I think that even happens in comparison where we place blame on other people, where we place blame on God, but we rarely actually look in that mirror and look at ourselves. This reminds me uh, of the story in Genesis. Right? This isn't a new problem. This problem has been going on for many, many years. And Adam, uh, mankind, right? Adam and Eve, we see the story where they actually fall uh, into temptation, that they miss the mark, that they fall into sin. And what is the first thing uh, that Adam says when God's like, hey, what's up? What happened? And he says this, oh, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And I remember reading this uh, the first times and right away we think, oh, maybe the woman's to blame. Um, but when we really look into it, he's not blaming the woman. Who's Adam blaming? God. It was your fault. You put her here, right? He's placing blame on God, and this is the same thing that the servant is doing. You. And when we look at this, that is this story, a story of a harsh master, right? Is he actually worth being afraid of, or is it this man's perspective of the master. Because in those first few, few like, verses and right at the beginning, he's giving away his wealth. He actually seems like a pretty generous master. So where is this guy getting this idea that he is a harsh master, somebody who's actually worth being afraid of? That his perspective of the master is actually changing his actions. I think we've all had that, right? We've all had maybe, you know, that teacher, that parent, coworker, boss that we deemed as harsh, and it would change the way that we actually responded to that person. Maybe they're less approachable. Maybe we work ourselves so many hours because we're actually afraid of disappointing that person. Right? That our perception of people changes the way that we actually respond around them. Like if I come home from work uh, and I see my wife uh, and she just looks frustrated. Right away I'm like, I must have done something. Uh, I'm going to avoid her. Uh, you know, like I'm going to like tiptoe around like these certain conversations or I'm going to maybe like uh, jump in and help in areas where maybe I'm not in the same room as her because I just don't, I don't know what I did, right? Like I must have done something that my perception is changing my behavior. 
for at the end of the day, I just like, you know what, maybe I've had enough. And I'm like, okay, angel, what did I do? Because there's always something. Uh, what did I do? For to say, hey, you know, the kids actually just spilled my coffee and I'm still a little bit upset with that. I'm not actually upset with you. And I'm like, I just wasted an entire day that I could have been spending with my wife because I perceived that she was angry at me. I think we can get that same uh, concept when it actually comes to the master. That same concept when it actually comes to God, uh, that we have this, uh, that when we think of the master, right? In here, this guy thought that he was harsh, dictates our actions. Our perspectives and beliefs about God affect what we do with what we are given. This man's perspective of a harsh God created a really harsh reality. And again, this is a parable. Right? This is a story that's made up to uh, emphasize this point. And if we go through this, right, there's a lot of ideas. And at the end, we see this concept of what actually seems like this harsh master. But I believe it's viewed uh, not as this harsh master, but I be- believe it's viewed as this consequences of this guy's own actions. Not a punishment by the master, right? His fears, thoughts, and beliefs about God actually became his uh, reality because he was sitting in it. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered the money from the servant, or he ordered, then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the, the one with the 10 bags of silver. Right? The servant didn't actually really do anything bad, did he? The problem is the servant actually just didn't really do anything. When the parable is taught, we usually focus on what did they do with what they were given. Today we're focusing kind of on the same idea, but drawing attention to something else. We're drawing attention to our assumptions that we place on God. Our assumptions that he is to blame for our situation, creating this need for the comparison trap. Right? That God's the reason I'm in the situation that I'm in. Right? This is this disgusting and dishonor, dishonoring thought, but it's a thought that actually traps us. It traps us in comparison. So what is this key? What is this key to breaking out of this comparison trap? We're not taking responsibility. We're blaming, right? Uh, a key to this is actually coming to the understanding and the realization that the master determined who got what. The master determined who got What? I think quite often we can take this and just say like, oh yeah, God should have given me more and it gives us more reason to blame. But when we look at the story, everyone was given an extravagant amount. Every single one of them was given something. Nobody was left with nothing. Right? That this frustration was actually frustration with the master, not with others. If you have a problem, the problem's not with others. You compare yourself to, it's God. But this frustration changed the way that he looked at other people. Right? He was way too focused on inequity versus the opportunity. He's focused on what is not fair to actually see what was in front of him. Yesterday, uh, for supper, I burnt grilled cheese. Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with the story, but how, I, I can't believe it. Anyways, I burnt the grilled cheese, but I like, scraped it off and tried to make it presentable. But anyways, okay, so I give half of a piece to my son Oliver, half of a piece to Lucy. First thing Lucy does, she comes and she sits down and she doesn't say, oh, thanks for the burnt grilled cheese. Uh, what she does is she looks at Oliver's plate, says, he has more than me. That was the first thing, right? Like her frustration made her focus in on the inequity, not the opportunity that she got to eat that burnt uh, grilled cheese. You know, what she had in front of her might not have been that great, but at least it was something. Uh, she had something. But her inequity, focusing on that, actually missed out on that opportunity of what's right 
in front of her. And I think we do that all the time. Right? We look around and we deem things that are unfair and I wish we had this. And we focus in on what is not fair that we don't actually focus on what is actually in front of us. What has the master already given us? Because he's given us something. Right? That every minute you compare yourself, you're accusing God of shortchanging you. Every minute you compare yourself, you're accusing God of shortchanging you. That's the root of our envy. It isn't others, but it's our perspective that God owes us. And there's no win in this comparison. There will always be somebody who is more than you. It's the truth. But the truth is also there will always be somebody who wants what you have. What are you going to do with, with what is given to you? Because the truth is God doesn't owe us anything. But he requires something from us. Your background and circumstances may have influenced who you are, but you must be accountable of who you become or who we become. Right? The situation and challenges we face are not in our control sometimes, but how you deal with them. Right? How you deal with them is and how you can utilize the opportunity that is actually in front of you. I think sometimes we're actually just mad at God. And letting that change the way that we actually see others. Instead of looking at other people as people, we see them as others. Let's look at what we've been given and what we can do with what we actually already have. What we, what we have uh, been blessed with is never actually meant to be a tool of comparison. What we have been blessed with, because the Master has blessed us, uh, is never actually meant to be used as a tool of comparison, but it is a lavish gift given to us by the grace of God and for us to generously give that gift to other people, to give it away. When, our, when we view God as a gracious giver of gifts, we see our gifts as unique to us. Right? They might not even be less or more than others. They actually might just be unique to who we are. Uh, they might be unique to us, um, but nothing to compare or hold on to, but something to share. We see the gifts of others as their own, right? Nothing worth taking. We celebrate the gifts of others, and instead of comparing, we see our gifts as something to share instead of hoarding. Something to share instead of comparing. So the first question I kind of want to conclude with is this idea. Is our perception of God getting in the way of seeing blessings in our lives? Right? Is our perception of God getting in the way of actually seeing these blessings? Uh, that we see God as maybe harsh or angry or cruel or we're blaming. Why would he give me little but them more? And we can get into this idea that God must not like me. He must not love me. He loves other people more. And we get into this, this mindset and our perception of God can change. And our actions change because of it. We can become bitter. We can be comparing we can see other people as just a means to an end, uh, that we don't actually treat people as tr- people. We actually just treat them um, as something to compare. Instead of being frustrated with God, seeing him as a harsh ruler, living out of fear, can we turn that frustration into thankfulness? Let that gratitude dictate how we see God and how we see others. But to allow that to happen, uh, we actually have to look at our blessings. Last week, Brad said this, and it stuck with me. He said, the key of contentment, or one of those things about contentment, is wanting what we already have. Is wanting what we already have. But before we actually want what we already have, we actually have to recognize and see what we have in front of us. Right? What do we actually have in front of us? What are we blessed with? Can we actually take a look inside and see those ways that God has actually blessed us? What are our talents? They might be less than others. Well, they are. And they may be more than others, uh, because they are. 
Um, even uh, to the servant with one bag, we got to remember that it was a lavish gift, a life-changing amount. But he squandered the opportunity. Even if we have one bag, still an amazing gift, right? Life is a lavish gift that God has given each one of us. He doesn't owe anything to us, but he requires something from us. What are we going to do with the lavish gift that is given to us? How are we blessed? Because we all are. Instead of being stuck in this trap of comparison, we need to realize that other people are not the problem. We don't need to look outward to other people. If we are comparing ourselves to others, the real problem, right? If we look down to it, is God. Uh, the perception is that he owes us, right? Not, the real problem might not actually, isn't really actually God. It's our perception on how we see God. In reality, God is not a harsh master, and he doesn't owe us anything. He has already given us a lavish gift, although that looks very, very different for each person. Each person's gift is unique. It's time for us to take responsibility, not blaming others, including God, and utilizing the opportunity given to recognize our blessings and to use those as blessings not to flaunt and compare, but blessings to actually give and to bless. We're blessed to bless others. God is kind, gracious. The lavish, he's a lavish gift giver. He is not harsh, but loving, forgiving, and understanding. Even when we feel like we have wasted the gifts given, God is the God of redemption, reconciliation, and second chances. So let that truth about God, about who God is, not our perceptions of God, but the truth about God, dictate how we see others, how we see the world, how we see others, uh, and see God and what we actually do with the gift that's given. Let's pray. Yeah, God, we want to thank you uh, for those truths about who you are, that you are loving, that you are kind, that you are gracious, that you are forgiving, that you are all about reconciliation, redemption, second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. That even when it feels like we squandered these gifts and these things that what we have been given, that Lord, that you are God who continues to give. Or give us perspective to see who you really are. Not these lies that go deep down that you must owe us something or that you have short changes, but let us see you for who you really are. That you are loving, that you are kind, that you are gracious. That you see us with that lens, but you also see other people with that lens as well. That people are not meant to be people to compare ourselves with. Can we actually just celebrate what we've been given, at the same time celebrate what other people have been given, even if that amount looks different. So Lord, let us put down this trap of comparison so that we can see the blessings we have and live the life that you've designed for us. Amen. So let us give account to the master instead of giving accounts to others. And I think sometimes when we uh, look at the master, it's sometimes like we're looking into uh, a rippled pond and how we see a reflection. I think sometimes we might see God in that way that the stones that are thrown in life actually affect how we view God and see our perception of God. But let us look uh, to God as like looking into a mirror where we can see his true uh, reflection and who he is and let that dictate who we are. That he's kind, that he's gracious, that he's giving, that he's loving and let that, that be the posture that we go and give accounts to God. Uh, and this morning, if you're somebody who, you're talking as like we're two beggars, but maybe you're somebody who actually feels like a one beggar. 
or less than, that life's been hard and difficult and we look around uh, and it's hard not to compare ourselves to other people, but I don't want to, but I'm just like in the situation where I'm at, it's hard not to blame God. Uh, we just want to invite you uh, to even just give account to the master, to pray, to be frustrated, to share, to be open to God. And we, we have prayer teams uh, that are forward uh, each Sunday. Bring that with other people. Let's pray together. And if you're somebody who's like, hey, I'm a two-bagger, or maybe even sometimes I feel like I'm a five, that life's going great, that things are going great, that I think it's awesome and this ability for us to actually celebrate together. Sometimes we don't celebrate enough because we don't, we're in that fear of, I don't want to, right, like uh, compare ourselves to others. It's not this act of comparison, but how can we be people to actually celebrate with each other? A lot of times on a Sunday morning we talk about, oh, come if life's heavy and let's pray together, but come when life's good and let's celebrate together. Let's praise together. Because we are actually in this together as a community, no matter where we're at and how much we've been given or what we're feeling like we're in this together. So with that, uh, let's leave with this perception and this view of truth of who God is, to see him clearly, and out of that to actually see who we are and how deeply loved and cared for we are. Yeah, let's go in peace.